Welcome to Under the Blanket Podcast with your host, Baba Here Love. And it's a joy to be here and be part of these podcasts. And uh, I just find that it, it's, it's another way to become more conscious. And you out there listening, uh, consider this being just something to wash over you and you could get feel more present. You don't have to sit there and analyze it and put it away and think about it. That You could do that if you want, though. So here we are under Miraji's blanket. And I have today, he was on the show before, Jeremy Hoffeld. Hello, Baba. Hello, everyone. It's good to be here with you. And, uh, you know, Jeremy uh, posted something on his Facebook where he talked about uh, when he was 17 and he met Arnie Lawrence, who's a musician who he felt like uplifted the people in the room through the music and it influenced his spiritual path. So I figured that's a good place to start. If you could talk about that, Jeremy. Yeah. Arnie was incredible. Arnie was a, a great saxophone player and a, a, a veteran jazz musician, uh, jazz musicians all over the world knew him. And he also had this whole other life that was really about um, nurturing the lives and the passions of young musicians and artists. And he took that role, I think, really seriously, being an educator, but not in not always in a formal sense. And he uh, he imparted his spirit. He was really the first person that I had real contact with who showed me that it was possible to, to be a, to be a mystic, you know, he, he was a walking embodiment of what he was talking about. And people would feel that in his presence, this amazing uh, sense of upliftment, just being around him. And his teaching was, I mean, people spent years with him, I my stint with him was relatively short. It was maybe like six months total that I was actually kind of under his wing. I played with him at his gigs, and I uh, I spent time with him sometimes just playing the saxophone. At the time, I was really serious about um, playing music. Still plays a role in my life, but not not in the same way that it was at that time. And uh, and Arnie's message was there was kind of a succinct level of it, which was just about like cultivating your ability to appreciate beauty and appreciate what's great in other people. And he taught his students that that was like an actual practice, a way that you could live, and that by appreciating and digging what other people were doing, you would become that. You sort of match that vibration and you would become it which was really counter to where a lot of where a lot of us young musicians were coming from we were you know there's this kind of like underlying competitive thing and a lot of times if somebody's playing great you might be kind of loath to admit that it's good because you feel some jealousy or you feel triggered in some way by them and arnie would cut through that and he would he taught us to to be like great supporters of other musicians and that was also a way of playing together, you know, a way of um, 
firing each other up while you were playing and supporting each other. And Arnie would, you know, if he was playing with you and you were playing something he dug, he would be like, yeah, man. And you hear that and you get so fired up by that. So like supported by that. Well, um, that seems to be what music, uh, you know, is about bringing people together, uplifting people, even if it's just sensory enjoyment and people feeling a little better or it gets you to a spiritual level, whatever it is. But then maybe we could talk about this, like look at what happened uh, in culture with, say, American Idol. And, you know, like there's these people and things like that, music competitions, like you're talking about, or if you're in the business, you're competing and uh, like hip hop people putting each other down for different songs and attacking each other and all the different genres and uh for to me that seems to be uh you know just a manifestation of the ego you know everything has to be turned into competition or to better the ego and you could be sitting there it's like going to a really hardcore heavy metal and you're getting really angry not all of it i'm just saying you're getting really upset and you but you feel a rush you feel an ego flash about it when uh just another a comparison uh, like music, you could just, it could take you to a place where you transcend the ego, where you feel like you're listening to a beautiful piece of music and you just, you're not thinking about it. You're just, you become one with each note and each moment. So maybe you could talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally, Baba. I think that that's, um, there's so much unexplored um, power in music still, even, you know, these thousands of years that mystics and, and musicians of all kinds have been playing music and understanding to different levels the way that frequencies and rhythms and just the vibrations affect us and influence us, you know. And, yeah, if you listen to music, music can take you over, and sometimes in a very positive sense and sometimes maybe in, in a not as positive sense. Your, your, your being will step into alignment with the frequency that's coming at you. And, you know, there's even debate about like at what frequency we should tune to, because is this like we have this convention that we tune to 440. That's kind of the, the universal convention that came from basically the West. A should be at the frequency of 440. And there are some people that are saying, no, 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 that's too high. And it's like it's aggravating us as as a species like we should go back to tuning to 432 i don't know the answer to that but i think it's really compelling and interesting that we are you know every molecule uh, that we perceive around us and we ourselves are vibrating molecules frequencies we're manifestations of of vibrating energy and energies around us that are that are vibrating are also influencing us. Music being like a very palpable example of it. Well, let's go here with this. We got say, you know, whether it's musicians or all kinds of artists, there can be creative process in which the, the being feels in touch with something and outcomes these song lyrics or outcomes this beautiful painting or some graphic art or they put together something, a poem. That's like word art and all of it comes from this place where they're like kind of channeling the universal consciousness. And then 
then like five people dig it and it doesn't get huge, doesn't touch a generation or it does. Um, and then you have something that say they're strictly about making money and it's all designed in corporate boardrooms and the person performing evens lip syncing it, maybe things like that. And yet could, you know, a person out there, that's what kind of music they like. And just through being present with each note of like, uh, I just can't help. I think of Cardi B. So Cardi B, each note of the Cardi B song, they're not thinking about how she's going to sell products or tailoring image. In that moment, that being just resonates and gets to the here and now, and they feel that fullness of being connected to everything just through a pop song. But yeah, and then you play something maybe a conscious artist made, and they don't get it. So I just feel that there's a lot of cosmic humor in all this. Like, it's like, how can we, we can't really put it all in boxes and say this, how it goes this way. And you have to be this to make a song and you have to be like this to do this. And you have to touch these many people or whatever it is, you know? Uh, and why can't we just, that's just all part of it. Like, like we we're saying before about the competition first bringing people up. If someone's into that and they feel more loving from it, who am I to say, well, that's not the right frequency, right? But they might be right. Maybe the frequency difference would make a difference, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's mysterious. I'd like to think that uh, music and art and all of these creative productions of, that people are working on so, um, so passionately are some kind of nutrition offering, some kind of food or you know, if you're looking at it from like a Vedic spiritual sense, it's like prasad. It's like an offering, and um, and so we offer, we as artists, we offer our enthusiasm. We offer that up to what we're what we're devoted to, what our hearts are devoted to, and then kind of as a byproduct of that, it goes to certain people, and it goes to those people who are uh, who resonate with that offering and who can benefit from it and be nourished by it. And um, I guess we don't really have too much control over it as much as we'd like to think that we should be able to or could control it. Like, how do I get my art out to a bigger audience? Why is this, you know, I look around and I see some some great artists are, are truly famous and some stuff that doesn't seem very original or very interesting maybe uh, getting massive traction and as in the case of the visual arts and sometimes i think with music too but often we see in the visual arts that um, an artist's work wasn't even for their time you know it really well you're in the visual arts um and uh, i've been i wondered if you could uh maybe give some input about this because i've been getting into like the visual graphic arts where um uh, I use this collage app and I'll take different like psychedelic paintings and I'll put the images from culture and I'll put a saint or a guru and, I'll, you know, put it together in a certain way with like a message of like, let it be as it is. And it's I, I felt it come came through in the sense of deprogramming. Oftentimes we're consuming people on, say, that go on social media or TV a lot. They'll consume a lot of creative work culturally that seems to program people a little bit to like feel a little less want something more go buy go get this you know it feeds into the mentality of 
me versus you and uh, tribalism, us versus them, and so on. And, you know, putting something back to say, help people that are awakening to that there's there's something beyond the separation. There's something that connects us, us all on every level, whoever we are, that feeling of wholeness and that a practice like they did in ancient times, the mandala, you'd sit there with the mandala and it would help you work through things. So um, as far as that goes, could you talk about like working with, say, an offering that goes against sort of the culture, like a counterculture offering? You know what I mean? And what are the implications of that? And how do you avoid the pitfalls or whatever, something like that? <laughs> yeah, I think for anybody who's involved in creative practice, like you need to have some kind of way to to have a dialogue. Oh, it's I guess in the truest sense, it's not really a dialogue, but it feels like a dialogue with your kind of authentic creative center. And you want to be tapping into that, like, what is the truest thing in me that that needs to be expressed right now? At the same time, you may have an audience or audiences that are expecting things from you. You know, I think we have some really great uh, models for that kind of uh, like I think of Dylan, Bob Dylan, you know, when I don't know what year it was, but he stepped out at the Newport Fe Folk Festival with his electric guitar. And, yeah, uh, 1965, I think. Thanks. Yeah. So people freaked out, you know, his audience, they weren't ready for that. And for them, it was like a blast for me against everything that they stood for. But, you know, Dylan was like super true to his authentic creative self. He didn't want to be put in the box of their uh, projection, their collective projections onto him. This is who you are. We're, you know, you're going to play the role of our our culture hero, this icon role, you're going to be our poet, you know, speaking the mouthpiece for our generation. And we're going to tell you what you're going to say, essentially. And, you know, he had another muse like that he had to be true to. And maybe some of the music was better than others. I don't know. But the important thing, I think, is that kind of quest. And sometimes it can put you in a place of being like, enormously famous and and uh and praised you know which i guess is intoxicating and hard to get away from but it also can put you at odds with your audience at times and i for me i think that's the that's the essential like the essence of the journey for the artist is that that dialogue that inner connectivity with what's trying to be expressed what's trying to come through you and, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, like there's this painting by Alex Gray, you probably heard of him, where he shows like music, you know, breaking apart chains, uh, like a musical note. And that is applying to all these creative things, I feel, is that like, say someone, they go to all these festivals, they're, they have uh, a rich parents and they have the money and they just want to go to all the festivals. What do they do when they can't hear the music, when they can't dance or do whatever they do there? They feel... Uh, low and they have to go get the, the rush and it just feels like then that's not liberating them well another person say just an example they could be you know meditating on Bach and they're just like hearing each note and somehow that puts them in a state when when they're just sitting in uh, nature in a park and someone walks by having a conversation and a bird chirps 
all of it becomes like that's the music and what's the painting the painting is what they're seeing and everything has a vibrance i mean you don't need psychedelics to see how beautiful a flower is you could see it shining and glowing in its inner light just as intensely as whatever uh, any of that kind of stuff just through really being with the flower and i think that's the potential these creative arts they can liberate us from having to keep going back to listen to the song or look at a visual art that relaxes Mandela or whatever it is. I have to go to the concert again. hundred I've been to 100 dead shows. I need to go one more. And instead, you feel a liberation from it. Could you talk about like creative force of liberation, perhaps? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's another individual journey, right? that place where you're trying to get to, I think kind of what you, what you're speaking to reminds me a little bit of that idea of like seeing things, the suchness of things, kind of that Buddhist idea where you're, you're seeing things exactly as they are and stepping out of conditioning. And um, maybe that's what many people turn to the arts for, you know, like we look at Van Gogh's painting and he'll paint something that we see kind of all the time, or maybe not all the time, but enough that it's sort of, even at this point, kind of a cliched subject matter. But something about the way that he's seeing it, like that purity of his vision and his appreciation for it can tune us into that. You know, we step into the moment, we're looking at it, we have that kind of direct contact with it that we create, you know, that we, that we long for. Yeah, and not only that, we have uh, it. It does those sorts of things, and also these creative forces can, you know, make points about the system, like critical points, and like a culture of the culture, or you know, help people see through propaganda, whatever side it is, you know, from the the, the left or right or the this group of countries or that, whatever it is. You know, it could help people see through that and and see it in a different perspective or at least not fully get into that cognitive dissonance thing. You know, yeah. I find, uh, you know, with my own work, you know, creating these graphic arts, I picked an image, but I don't feel like I picked it. It's like a flow. You understand. And I, I'll flow and there will be the image of a burning American flag. Now, to certain people, that would be upsetting, but I'm putting it in with like a caterpillar to a butterfly and like a saint and like, you know, psychedelic flowers and you put it together and one person will see that and they'll just be focused. Their mind will totally focus on the burning American flag because they, 4th of July and eating the hot dog, yum, yum. Mm, Are you thinking about how it was made? No. Are you thinking about how America was founded on genocide and slavery? No. Are you thinking about the current foreign policy you know you just like the flag and it waves around and yay us we're us and they're them and it seems to me that if someone was so programmed with that they were saying like we can't make art like creative stuff like this you can't put a burning but that's gonna hurt people it's gonna hurt people but you know you begin to see that is that them being hurt because i put it that image or is it their own mind their own cognitive dissonance that this is my trip and that's against my trip and everybody's so quick to report it on Facebook, and that's this is offensive, and that's offensive, and this is not and that. But, you know, what if you turn that around? That that person's like, I see the burning American flag, 
but I recognize becoming, I'm becoming more conscious that that's my own trip about it. So that is helpful to let go of all the trips in general and just be what you were talking about, the suchness. Because what is the suchness of that image? Because really, from a deeper perspective, it's all, like you were saying before, manifestations of that energy. So whatever art's out there, it's all, all of the art. All the music, all the walking down the street and seeing the piece of shit, all of it is that manifestation of that divine energy. And it has like an inherent horrible kind of beauty to it. So if you could speak about that, does anyone ever say, you know, give you criticism about creative work over the years? Anybody said, well, I don't, that offends me or, or they just didn't like it. And they were like all snooty about it. What would you say to that? Yeah, I think I haven't really made work that was, politically offensive to people um, for the most part, except in the capacity that maybe it doesn't reflect political awareness, because that's not really where my consciousness is focused a lot of the time. Although in our culture, that's it's almost impossible to dance around the politiciza politicization of, of everything that we do. And so um, like in the contemporary art scene, um, it's it's kind of expected that people's work will reflect some kind of political view or um, disrupt some kind of norm that's considered, uh, you know, oppressive in some way. And I think it's safe to say that that's that's almost expected of the of the prominent contemporary artists today. Um, my focus hasn't really been on that so much. I think there's a lot of instances of that in art history too, uh, particularly, um, you know, like in the 1940s and 50s, America took the front stage in the art scene in the world globally. And there were many artists in this pack of artists who were thinking about basically what we would call like spiritual kind of things. Like Jackson Pollock was interested in, in the kind of ideas that you're expressing about having contact with like this uniquely human experience. But the mouthpieces for that movement, that art movement, turned it into something political at that time. Like, you know, their artwork was held up as being great, partly because it couldn't be used as propaganda. Whereas you had like the Soviet socialist realists, they were making work that was so literal and, you know, portrait based and et cetera that it could too easily be used to uh, express some ideology or convince people to believe something. So then these people like Jackson Pollock is a great example. He was making art that was like trying to scratch this basically um, spiritual itch. And it was upheld as political in the sense that it was this great American art that couldn't be used as propaganda. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing how if you look at all the, uh, you know, society, how a running course through it has been the creative works of uh, all kinds of different artists and writers. And um, I remember growing up and going to school and they didn't that was like something you learned like on your own or for like five minutes in art class, you know, but yet that seems like a more pertinent even like do we really need to learn about all these different wars and this empire and that empire who knows if we're really even learning 
all the truth about it. Like the Vatican archives, there's so much ancient text that you have to be a high level this or that to even look at it. So that bring you know, the victors write the history kind of deal. But anyway, regardless of any of that, you know, what about that? Well, you know, isn't that seem to be some sort of way to understand humanity? Look at what, at least what we know about it, you know, the different ways creative has applied to things that have grown on historically or culturally and just see how it all influenced it and played into it. Kind of like, this is how I look at it. That, that's the caterpillar. And all of it is like equally a part of it. It's a holistic caterpillar planet with people and art, government. It's all one big thing going through it together, meaning it's not separate parts in that way. It's all holistic sort of thing. And then from my perception, the 60s was like that was the beginning of a cocoon. And that included all of it. And you could see how it was kind of visible in the late 60s, something about that. But it's kind of, from my perspective, been going on since then and no one can escape it like you were saying i don't go into that area but like i can't feel like i can't ignore it because it's all part of it you know and i just um i feel eventually that will go to some sort of butterfly situation but what about this perspective what you're talking about the suchness is it possible to pull back far enough where we could look at that stuff without being the critic of it, you know, like, I didn't like this movie, one star, and this painting, oh, it's just a square. I, how could they put this in a museum? It's just a square. And then I don't like this poem because it's about this and this. Oh, I can't stand that song because of blah, blah, blah. If we could just put that aside and appreciate it, like, from that sense of it's all the manifestation of the energy, and then how do we balance it with... Because you still got to be a human being that will get upset and have emotions and maybe like this kind of music, but not that kind of music. But you don't want to get all lost in that. Like the third Zen patriarch said, preferences are like a disease of the mind. But from this suchness perspective, we could have those in a light kind of playful thing. So could you talk about that? Yeah, maybe if, as you say, we're in some kind of emerging butterfly stage of consciousness, then this like proliferation of opinions and everybody having so much to say and the role that social media plays in that is kind of like a last flare up of that identification of human beings. Like, I mean, we have an endless uh, capacity to identify with things, right? I think that's what you were alluding to when you're talking about the flag. So, on a, you know, on the smallest level, we can identify as our individual self and this uh, meat suit that we're that we're stuck in. And then we can identify as a family or a clan or, you know, a sports team or a nation. And then accordingly, we have opinions and ideas, a lot of which don't even come from necessarily from our own innate self, but they're adopted or reflected from things around us you know like uh, the social media is an amazing example of a kind of um, like an experiment in all this because on the one hand it allows people like it allows as an artist it's hard to really you can't avoid social media and in many ways like I celebrate it it allows me to put my work out there and connect with people that's incredible. Like in the past, that would have been impossible without some kind of powerful established entity getting behind you. 
and and supporting you and putting your work out there. Now you can just click a button and put it out there. On the other hand, there's all of this kind of social posturing that happens on social media, like it's kind of pressure to express the idea that your that your clan is in support of, you know, your your posse, your tribe, whatever. And um, I have tremendous reluctance to do that, even though probably, you know, in most cases I do, you know, I, I may agree with all my friends about what they're what it is they're expressing, but I don't want to post a picture of myself on Facebook with some banner, some circle around me that says fill in the blank, you know, whatever thing it is that people are reacting to. And, yeah. and not, not to take away from the causes that they're supporting, because yeah, I don't, you know. No, I get where you're going with that. You know, it's uh, the yin and yang of uh, a phenomenon such as social media came, you know, and people could focus on one end or the other. You're looking at both perspectives and there's all kinds of details to that. But we are reaching the end of the show. So I want to thank you, Jeremy, for being on the show. And uh, this has been helpful for my awakening to that we're all one. Because I remember before I got in the show, I was doing all this meditation because I just want to be in a good state, a higher state of consciousness when I do a podcast and I've been going through, you know, the usual melodrama relationship stuff, but I worked through it and I was ready and uh, I feel I let go of some stuff and, you know, we're all walking each other home as Ram Dass says. So, and who could, and if I sit there and thank you for doing the show, I even feel silly doing that because I, I th- who am I thanking? You are me. We are one. We're all going, we're all different manifestations of that energy. So if you could, just talk about where people could find your work or if they want to contact you and that sort of thing. Thanks, Baba. And, and amen. Um, yeah, I'm at, I'm on Instagram at Jeremy Hoffeld and Facebook, Jeremy Hoffeld. My website is www.jeremyhoffeld.com. And if you Google me, you'll see some other, uh, podcasts. If you're interested in listening to other shows or Baba and I have done another show or two shows together, I think. Um, so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Yeah. And uh, everybody out there, just um, remember that we're all in this together. And it's not just some cliche they said during COVID in the sense of we're a society, but in the sense that we are literally, there is no separation. And if this podcast, helped you even a little bit to let go of it it was you yourself we're all we're helping ourselves you know because i feel like that's a prison i helped you with this and you're the helpless and it just furthers all that separation stuff you know from that but you know also on another hand last point before we go is uh from that really light perspective that i feel in touch with now it's really just a game of hide and seek with ourselves and Who am I to put down any being's journey in the hiding or in the seeking or any of my own stuff I've been through? We all get to the here and now. We're all really right here. And this has been Bobber Here Love with the Under the Blanket podcast. And I'll see you everywhere. I'll see you everywhere. We are love. We are love.